Hello and welcome to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. I'm Steve Smith, your host, as always. And and from last time we spoke, I gave you an official title that I was the official host. So I'm moving on from that right now. It's been pretty wet across Australia, as we know, in particular the East Coast. And now it's official. This is episode number 34. No time for a long-winded introduction I do. This is going to be the Walking the Fairway segment of the podcast. News time. Let's see what's happening across the country. And I'm just going to get stuck into it. Like I mentioned at the very beginning there in the intro, in sorry, in the welcome message to you all, was that it's been official how wet it is. And when I say official... I'm talking the Bureau of Meteorology. Yes, the one and only government department that looks after and announces all the details and things happening in our weather across the country. And they have just announced that this November in 2021 was the wettest November for the whole country of Australia in its history of record keeping. So since records began... And that was only back in 1900. So it's only been, what, 121 years that we've been keeping tabs on these details, in particular about rainfall. So the whole country was officially the wettest it's ever been in November. I've got no idea how they calculate that information, but I'm just passing on a message. So in case you're wondering, you're wondering, it's been raining, it's been quite wet, it's been probably a little bit lower than normal temperatures, certainly for the east coast of Australia, or probably the eastern half, because we're seeing we're seeing plenty of rain in the western reaches of Queensland and New South Wales, the northwestern parts of Victoria, South Australia is getting plenty. There's just water all over the place, causing lots of flooding in the eastern half of the country. And devastating as that is sometimes, no doubt, and we've seen plenty of that sadly. Um, people have lost you know, all sorts of crops and, and all sorts of things farming-wise and primary producers has been devastating along with floods to people's properties, which has also been horrible to, to see and, and no doubt you can't imagine what it's like to have been part of that. So we wish everyone well and we certainly, our thoughts are with those devastated by the floods, but there you go, it's official how wet it's been. Now we move on quickly from that little announcement and I'm going to start this one with sustainable golf. My little part of the segment of Walking the Fairways of sustainable golf where I just talk about some of the positive things that are happening in golf course management and and how golf courses are trying to improve themselves and improve the way that they maintain courses, becoming a little bit more in tune with their local environment and the way that they operate and function. It's always good to see golf courses doing it. And there's probably no better example that I've spoken of in the past in recent times than Glenelg in South Australia, Glenelg Golf Club. But I'm going to start off with this little bit. I just want to thank Glenelg Golf Club, in particular Manina Gilby, the biodiversity manager there at Glenelg, for hearing me talk about the honey that they harvest on their golf course. And, you know, I've mentioned in the past that they've got some hives on course and that the bees are local to the course itself and they obviously get the pollen um, from all the, the local flora on the site, different trees and different plants and all sorts of things. And I'm a big honey fan. And when I heard that they were doing it on site, harvesting their own honey and it had been used also in the restaurant for example and some of the menu items so good to see this stuff well Menina reached out to me and uh, and and offered to send me a sample 
of their honey. Now you might have seen, you might have seen, and I laugh a little bit because I'm such a fan of honey. It's just a little bit weird, and I go all over the place buying and sampling different types of honey across New South Wales, and in, wherever I'm traveling, I'll find a local honey place and I'll just purchase a, a small jar and see what the flavors are like from the different trees where they're they're locally um, collecting the pollens, and it adds different flavors and and colors to the honey itself, and it's a little bit weird, I know, but. Manina reached out and said, look, we want to send you a little sample to see what, you know, have a taste and see what your thoughts are. And I was, like I said, extremely grateful that they offered to do that. And I've got to tell you, OMG, it was absolutely fantastic. That honey coming out of Glenelg, I can't believe I'm talking about honey from Glenelg Golf Club. The fact that I, I, I think back to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and I can't imagine a golf club harvesting its own honey. Really, really unusual to think of now. But now we're starting to see these things in, in people's yards and small properties and stuff. So why can't a golf course do it? And I think this is fantastic that they're doing it. So to give you an idea, it's it's a fantastic honey. I really, really enjoyed the honey. It's, it's, it's a little bit lighter in color than those that we're probably used to seeing here in Australia. Uh, certainly some of the stuff you see in the supermarkets. But some of this stuff, it's straight from the, the, the hives themselves is fantastic. So this is really light in color. Uh, than some of the eucalyptus-based varieties, which we're probably more more commonly used to seeing here in Australia, such as like the iron barks, where you've got some of these big gum trees around the hive. So your iron barks, stringy barks, red boxes, yellow boxes, all those sorts of things. It's very light, this one from Glenelg. And, and talking to Manina, it's probably a little bit to do with the, the different types of flowers and, and flora that are around on the golf course, probably less so of the large gum tree varieties. I've not been to Glenelg. Uh, so I don't know the vegetation there, but Manina was saying that it's just due to their their different types of, of plant life that, that exist on the golf course. So I found it, it's it's got a really nice light color. It's almost a lighty pale gold. And uh, and it's a it's quite a floral flavor in it too. So it doesn't have a really strong finish to it like a lot, like I mentioned, a lot of the eucalyptus-based honeys. And I found it almost because of that Without that strong, heavier finish, it's, it's sort of sweeter and lighter in flavors. But I, I thought it was so refreshing, a really beautiful flavored honey. And you know, to the point where I just sat in front of the Bathurst 1000 last week again with, a, with the jar itself and a spoon hooking into the honey, just kicking back, watching the race and, the, and all sorts of things. So that's how I spent last weekend with the Bathurst 1000, the four days of the, the racing. I was eating some Glenelg honey watching the Bathurst 1000. There you go. So I just wanted to pass on a thank you to Menina and Glenelg. Really, uh, really cool and interesting to taste it. It's actually really, really beautiful honey. So there you go. Now, onto the serious stuff at Glenelg, they have created a biodiversity inventory, or they're in the process of creating a biodiversity inventory with the aim of recording all of the flora and fauna on the golf course there. Now, I'm here to tell you that's going to be a job and a half. That's a big deal trying to record that. But the idea of this, it will ultimately show the role of golf courses in urban biodiversity. And I think this is a really important way of, of measuring so that we can so that we as golf clubs and golf courses can better talk about our role in that biodiversity and, and all the different 
types of flora and fauna that are being harbored and protected in those environments of a golf course. And I think that's important. It's hard to put a finger on the specifics until you do something like this. So Glenelg are going about recording it. I think this is something that that some, there's plenty of golf courses around that might need to consider if they have the opportunity to do this sort of stuff, to, to create this biodiversity inventory, a register if you like, of all the different flora and fauna that are on a golf course. And and I'm going to do it. I'm going to compare this to a park because you hear in public spaces, a lot of people talk about more access should be made to golf courses. They should be converted from golf to just general general access public parks for people to walk and wander. And that's all well and good. But what I talk about in golf courses and the maintenance of a local environment within a golf course that the course is routed through, it's the, it's the remnants of of a local endemic environment and vegetation that's usually there that is is harbored on parts of the golf course. And I compare it to parks because if you convert a golf course just to a public park, you'll often see that they become quite quickly just general grass areas and they reduce the number because we're trying to open it up to more people having access to more space. It's not just the fairway ribbons and the whole corridors of turf and, and, and that open space, you find that there's just there becomes limited trees, limited selection and variety uh, of vegetation across a whole parkland. Um, they don't have the biodiversity of a golf course. That their, their job is not to preserve the local environment and the endemic, the local remnant vegetation and the flora and fauna that are harbored within that. That's not the role of a park. A park is just a general open space usually. And there are different versions around. I don't want to shoot, you know, I don't want to shoehorn it into being that there is only one type, or I should say, stereotyping into one particular type of a park. Generally speaking, a lot of parks are very simple, open space. That's generally what they're all about. Um, we're starting to see different types of parklands around, but that requires a lot of work, a lot of maintenance, and a lot of money, and that's usually going to come from council. And I don't see a lot of councils jumping up and down, spending lots of cash harboring the remnant veg- vegetation and 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 being very conscious about the management of these areas it, it's it's a different way of maintaining it and i know there are some examples so please don't think that i'm excluding every example out there of of parks that that do protect the local environment the local and endemic vegetation environment but golf courses do it better than others because it's a key element as i talk about a very key element to the character of a golf course and what players and people feel as they work their way around playing golf. So this is a great thing that Glenelg are doing and I'm not so sure of other places are doing it. There may well be other courses in Australia that are doing it and I'm happy to highlight those if anyone wants to get in touch with me, but Glenelg are making an example of it and it's one that we're hearing about at the moment. So great stuff from Glenelg. They continue to move forward uh, in this sort of stuff in the sustainable golf field that I like to talk about in the environmental side of things. And I just wanted to pass that on to you guys so you know what's happening from that side of golf. And I think it's really important to hear. Now, we stay into Adela- uh, we stay into South Australia when we talk about what's happening on golf courses in terms of the news that's happening and, and modifications and changes and improvements to the course. And we stay at Glenelg as well. So Glenelg, if you're not sure, is in Adelaide's western suburbs there just by the coast and some of the things that are going on in terms of the overall course improvements and changes, they've started work on their course enhancement plan, which begins with some major adjustments to their 18th golf hole. 
Now, the course enhancement plan was done by Neil Crafter and Paul Mogford, the duo of golf strategies, in association with Bob Tui, I think is how you pronounce it, and Ryan Van Der Veen. So they're the people behind this, this course enhancement plan, and it's pretty extensive. But they're starting at the 18th. Now, work is happening with some changes to the fairway bunkers on 18. Uh, one of the greenside bunkers as well. There's plenty of tree work happening. There's some fairway adjustments to the fairway lines, what will ultimately be shortcut grass as well. And and there's some new tees going on in the 18th tee. From, from what I can gather, there is a lot going on to this golf hole. So they've closed the hole down, and their 19th, which was the par 3 they'd recently completed uh, a couple of months ago, is up and ready for play with the 18th closed down. So there's a whole lot going here, and this is just one golf hole, guys. Now, added to that is Glenelga installing an upgraded irrigation system along the way and to part of these new works moving forward. And for them, it's by way of Rainbird, a Rainbird irrigation system. So good to see these upgrades in this area of any golf course. And Glenelg have decided that Rainbird is the system for them moving forward. So we're really excited to see all the details that are happening there at Glenelg. So huge stuff going on. And um, look, it's not something we often see through the middle of summer, but Obviously, such a big deal and a large plan that they're working through over the next few years, no doubt, at Glenelg. That's what's happening down there at Glenelg at the moment in Adelaide. Now, we head to Victoria. And this Sunday, the 12th of December, is the official members opening of the new five-hole short course called The Island at La Trobe Golf Club in Melbourne. Now, this short course has been designed by OCM, and you probably have heard me talk about recently Kingston Heath. They've got a short course that's that's soon to commence at, um, at Kingston Heath there, which is also done by OCM. So this one's been finished, the island at La Trobe, and really exciting stuff there. It's going to be great addition for the members and their guests at La Trobe. Really exciting stuff for the club. These are the sorts of things that golf clubs are starting to introduce if they've got the space, if they've got the land, they're trying to work out how to introduce this stuff for their members and for people involved at the club that come and visit or whether they're visitors or guests depending on the accessibility of that particular club. So huge stuff happening there at La Trobe. Really exciting to see. Now, recently there has been a new announcement that Cranbourne Golf Club will host the Australian Amateur on March the 29th to the 1st of April. Now, this is another club that we probably haven't seen with some major events. And uh, if you're in Melbourne, you, you probably certainly know more about it, but we don't get it often spoken of on a broader sense across the country. So that's what I'm doing here with the Australian Amateur at Cranbourne. Now, Cranbourne is located down the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. It's, it's about an hour's drive from Melbourne City itself, and uh, really exciting to see. It's a great-looking golf course, and Cranbourne is a club with that's nearly 70-odd years old with a very, very proud history for itself. So one to see that the Australian Amateur's on, and if you're down that area, why wouldn't you get around to see this sort of stuff? These are the up-and-coming players of Australian golf, and we always want to know who they are, and uh, certainly you know, we often hear more about them once they've, they've come into the pro events and we're, we're hearing a name with a few wins under their belts but this is this is the beginnings of their careers so if you're really into this sort of stuff it's an easy way to get out there and and see uh see who's out and about and how these these young players are playing and how good they are and if you're a member at cranbourne or a regular at cranbourne you will you will um, have the opportunity no doubt to to see and hear about this event that's happening early next year, end of March into April. So good to hear, good announcement for Cranbourne. 
Now we go to New South Wales, but we start down at the Murray River region at Rich River Golf Club at Moama, the township of Moama, which is part of the twin towns on the river there of Echuca, Moama. And they've had some more work being done to their course with some custom bind being installed in some of their bunkers. Now they've slightly altered their approach of the sixth green on the east course, where they've adjusted the bunkers that used to be sort of at the front and at the front left. There were two bunkers there uh, of the green complex. And to they've adjusted it to now having a bunker on each side of the front left and the front right. So two bunkers with a bit of a, a mouth opening, if you like, on the entry to the green to sort of open up that running shot to the green, which previously was, wasn't available as an option for players. So that's some slight adjustments that have been done down there. And these bunkers are now going to drain extremely well with custom bind in in as their bunker liner. So a marked improvement to the sixth hole on the east course at Rich River if you go down that way this summertime. Manly Golf Club in Sydney. Now Manly, they've recently rebuilt their eighth tee uh, with a brand new surface going down. And, and we... We've had a late start to summer this year with good rain and cooler temperatures on the East Coast. So some courses like Manly are still doing some of this construction work with new turf and it allows the new grass to grow in without the usual stresses of a very of the very hot summer temperatures that we would normally start seeing by now. So we're into December. We would normally have had 30s peaking in October, certainly in November, and now you're going to see them more consistently in December. But we haven't really had any of that at all here in Sydney, I can tell you, um, which is really unusual. It's it's meant that we've had a really slow wake up of those warm season cooch grass areas. Um, they really haven't been growing very, very fast, but only just in the last week or two have we been getting temperatures consistently in the mid-20s, and even then it's questionable. So we're starting to see a little bit more growth, but that's allowed places like Manly to, to just maybe tick off a few more things leading into the hot stressful summertime because we haven't really had any of that yet so far. So uh, Manly have done a little bit of work there on course leading up to the turn of the year. Now we head to the south side of Sydney to Cronulla Golf Club and they've commenced work on their new master planned practice facility which will soon add a new short game chipping and putting area. Now that's scheduled to be built early next year. So they've commenced the work on the buildings itself um, with these new short game area to be done next year. Now next year they will also be redesigning their 17th green and 18th tees. All of this new work is being designed by Crafter Mogford of Golf Strategies. I mentioned Neil Crafter and Paul Mogford. Yes, you are hearing the name of these guys at plenty of places at the moment because they are doing heaps of work at all of these places. So Crafter, Mogford uh, and Golf Strategies are, are, are very, very busy at the moment, certainly around in Victoria, which is sort of where they're, they're kind of uh, based, but they do travel all over the places we hear about uh, doing all sorts of work. And Cronulla is one that they've been doing work at for a little while now. I went and saw, saw um, Paul Mogford a few years ago now to see some alterations to a couple of the greens down there that they've done, and they're still continuing. So Cronulla's got more work happening and more improvements to the golf course continuing to to take place there which is great to see now we go to the lakes golf club in sydney's eastern suburbs and they've recently renovated the sandy waste area behind the third green by slightly widening it a little bit which to me is probably just getting it back to its original size and they've also rebuilt some of the islands in the middle of that particular waste area now there's always things happening at the lakes which is part of the continual improvement and maintenance to retain the wonderful redesign that was done back in 07 by Jeff Ogilvie and Mike Clayton. So 
we we see this. It, look, it's a wonderful of uh, a wonderful venue. The lakes. It's a wonderful championship venue that's hosted the Australian Open numerous times since that redesign. And part of maintenance and 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 things change. And I always say that a golf course is a moving target because it's always growing, and the landscape is always being adjusted by Mother Nature. And we to retain some of those particular design elements, things will adjust and, and change over time. And every now and then you have to go back and reset it to, to try and retain that original style and, and the original concept of, of some of those design elements. Now, that's not always the case. But in this particular place at, at the lakes, it's something that they've decided that they want to try and continue to improve and, and not let it go too far away from its original concepts. So other places like that that aging and, and that decaying and, and forever changing um, landscape and, and I think of off the top of my head St Andrews Beach down in Melbourne where the bunkers are windswept and they start to to break away and break down and that's all part of the process. Uh, but here at the lakes, you know, but like I said, championship event, um, it's 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 such a wonderful design and a beautiful landscape with these changes that were done what, best part of 14 years ago now um, that every now and then they try and retain them and, and just make sure they don't get too far away from the original. It's not a an enormous landscape, the lakes. It's not anywhere near as big as St Andrews Beach. It's just a monstrous place, that one. Um, so it's got room to move. But yeah, that, that's what's been happening at the lake. So behind the third, they've just sort of reinvigorated and renovated that sandy waste area, which is always a good thing to see. The golf courses are continuously maintaining and improving their spaces, as I always talk about. Now I head up to Queensland and I've got a, it's a bit of a Queensland Victoria um, announcement of what's going on. David Mason, the, the current superintendent of Metropolitan Golf Club in Victoria, has, well, there's been an announcement that in 2022, he will be making the move and leaving Metro and going to take on the role of superintendent at Brisbane Golf Club up there in Queensland beginning March the 1st, 2022. 2022. Now, this is a big deal. David is a great name and a very highly regarded superintendent and greenkeeper in the industry. So it's a bit of a sort of something on both sides here. It's a bit of a loss for Metro and a gain for Brisbane, no doubt. It's a big deal for Brisbane and uh, a very big announcement in the industry when I was actually quite surprised when I heard this one. So we haven't heard who will be replacing David at Metropolitan next year, but when I find out, I'll let you know. But in the short term, knowing that Brisbane Golf Club have David heading up there to take on the role, you uh, one thing to keep in mind. I always like to to see when, or I like to think about when superintendents like this make a move to a, another club like the, the another large club like Brisbane Golf Club. On the back of that, or it could be in preparation of, you might start to see some work happening at the golf course as well. So if I hear anything coming out of Brisbane, uh, I'll let you know. But that's a big move, and it's a uh, a big deal. To, to, uh, to attract David Mason from Metropolitan in Victoria where he's he's done so much of his time there and and obviously the club have, have, have held a, a number of big events and uh, he's been part of continuing to, to showcase and deliver how good a product Metropolitan Golf Club is there in Victoria. Well, now up there in Brisbane, uh, you're going to start to see some pretty big things, no doubt, and some improvements to the golf course as well. So that's a big, ha- big thing happening up there in Queensland. And one final announcement that I'm going to come out with for you on this walking the fairways is another superintendent appointment. And this one is we head to WA 
Going to go to Western Australia to Royal Perth Golf Club, where Matthew Souls has just started as superintendent after finishing two-week quarantine stint over there. So he's had two weeks of, I'm just going to say, losing time um, to go through the quarantine process, but will be taking on a fantastic role as superintendent at Royal Perth Golf Club. Now, Matthew comes from the Australian here in Sydney, where he's been doing work on the golf course and, and part of the club for a little while at the Aussie, and will no doubt be rubbing his hands together at the challenge ahead at Royal Perth and the view to the future of the club and course moving forward. That's Like I said, these are big appointments, guys, and so look to see stuff happening. Now, what I will say, like I said with Brisbane Golf Club, what I will say at Royal Perth Golf Club, and Matthew Souls has now begun as superintendent, there was an announcement as well just recently that Cruise Golf and Clayton DeVries Pont, both those golf course architecture firms, have jointly been announced as advising architects to develop and author a long-term plan for the golf course of Royal Perth Golf Club. Now, these are the sorts of things. that These things do happen hand-in-hand sometimes. So, Matthew's starting... And then we've had an announcement that Cruise Golf and Clayton DeVries Pont are going to be advising the club and, and putting together a, a long-term plan for the golf course. So this is some pretty huge news. And, and these two firms working together is just a this, – this is a big deal for Royal Perth. I think, I think this, is, this is a stroke of genius for Royal Perth, if you ask me, and one that we'll certainly be watching to see how it all unfolds over there in WA. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of EP34, or more commonly known as episode 34. I hope you took something out of it, and look, I'm just going to put the call out. I'm just putting it out there to any superintendents, greenkeepers, club committee people, board members, GMs, anyone listening that has news about any upgrades, works that are happening to their golf course, and they want to get the name out there for their club, their course, and tell us what's going on, send me a message. You can do that on Instagram, Facebook, or there's uh, links in there in those profiles to email. You can get in touch with me somehow. Let me know what's going on because I would be happy to share any improvements that you're doing to your course, no matter what it is or where you are in Australia. Just search for me under the Golfing Greenkeeper. There's the call out. Anyone interested, get in touch with me and I will share the news around. Please like, share, subscribe, leave a comment. Always like to hear your feedback and certainly um, love keeping you up to date. I hope you got something out of it and I look forward to catching up with you next week when I bring you another episode of Australian Turf Analysis, Keeper of the Greens. You hit them clean and we'll keep them green. Stay tuned. See you guys.